I'm Eric Miller, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you, and a very special good late morning to everyone here at Brits enjoying the World Cup. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I am Steve McPherson. With me, as ever, is play-by-play analyst Callum Williams. Cal, did you ever expect that England would still be in the World Cup when Argentina, Spain, Germany, Portugal, and Mexico had already been eliminated? Nope. <laughs> I mean, now, technically, it's still the same round, so if England so goes out, still... then yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I didn't expect it at all, Steve. But like, I think uh, I think the the game against Colombia will be a, a true test for England. The first real test that we've had. You know, obviously the game against Belgium in the last round was. Um, you know, both, both sides were, were playing second string sides for various different reasons. But um, yeah, against Colombia, people seem to be convinced that England are going to go through. Uh, look, Colombia are a very very good team, and um, I, I'm. Look, I'm cautiously optimistic. All right. But the word being cautious there. About the same place you were last time we spoke then, yes. Cal. Yes, <laughs> I mean, obviously, this round of 16 has shown us that y- you, you can't take anything for granted. What, what do you feel has been the most shocking exit so far? Oh, wow. Um, look, I mean, any time you have a, a footballing juggernaut fall out of the tournament um, like Argentina... Um, it's, it's, it's obviously very surprising. But I said to you um, before the World Cup started, France were my pick, simply because I think they're the most tournament-ready, that they've got an array of winners, uh, and not just league winners, but competition winners within their ranks as well. You know, you have FA Cup winners, Champions League winners, Copa del Rey winners, uh, Coupe de France winners, all, all over the, uh, the roster. So it's not surprising to me that, that France look as good as they do right now. But of course, look, it's, it's, it's always uh, eyebrow-raising when you see um, such vibrant footballing nations drop out of the tournaments earlier than you expected. So um, for me so far, Steve... Um, you know, seeing Argentina crash out in the manner in which they did, I thought was surprising. But also as well, Portugal dropping out as well, because I really fancied them against Uruguay. No doubt about it, good team, especially with Cavani and, and Luis Suarez up top. Um, but yeah, Portugal dropping out was a surprise for me as well. Uh, Cavani looked fantastic. I mean, I, I think when you think about Uruguay, mostly people think about Suarez. Do you feel like Cavani is maybe a, a little underrated, uh, he, that he should get more credit than he does? That strike that he had, that uh, goal looked fantastic. Um, it depends who you ask around world football, to be honest, Steve. I mean, he, he's a very, very coveted centre-forward. People know all about him. He's, for most of his life, he's been linked with multi-million dollar moves all over the world. And, and obviously, he scores goals uh, on a regular basis for Paris Saint-Germain. So, um, you know, maybe if he was uh, playing for, for someone like a Manchester United or a Real Madrid or somebody like that, he would get a little more attention. But, um, look, I mean... He's at a very good club at the moment, and um, I, I think moving forward, if he, um, if he does well in the next round for Uruguay again, then in my opinion, you, you can't ignore someone like that. Uh, yeah, and those, uh, the, the kits for Uruguay are rather form-fitting. Uh, it's a little uncomfortable for me. I feel like, it's, it, I feel like I, it would feel very tacky to have cl- clothing clinging to you like that. Do you uh, like a form-fitting shirt, or are you more of a loose shirt guy? I, um, well, it... <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, being European, I, I would say I, I, I like the fitted uh, attire. Uh, having said that, after spending the last sort of six months uh, in Brit's pub, um, <laughs> perhaps fitted attire wouldn't be the best uh, for, for me at the moment. It's not as flattering for you, Cal. <laughs> You're saying. Um, I'm not going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, hey, I mean, look, if you've, if you've got it, Rock it. Why not? We'd all <laughs> do the same, wouldn't we? Why not? <laughs> uh, and in terms of uh, Spain's exit, uh, that was also a pretty dramatic upset, obviously. <laughs> you know, I completely forgot about that. That's Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's been so many upsets. I know. Um, it, it, it's just, uh, it's becoming part of the cause, isn't it? Um, which is why uh, earlier today, obviously we're recording this on the Monday, I, um, I, I was not convinced that Brazil would beat Mexico at all, and, and, and obviously they've gotten the, the job done. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, yeah, now, now that you think about it, that completely slipped my mind that, that arguably um, the Spain defeat at the hands of Russia, it may very well go down as one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history, simply because Spain as a footballing nation, it means everything to them. Right, um, right. I was in Spain when they won the World Cup last in 2010. Um, and I swear to God, Steve, when the final whistle went after the extra time goal from Iniesta, the country shook. I, I swear to God, I, I felt a collective shake of, of Spain. Um, and I was in a small little bar with, with my parents and a couple of other people who we were on vacation with. And, uh, you know, before we knew it, the, the bartender... Um, spraying people with champagne and everything and you know you would walk back to where you were staying and there'd be horns honking and and, and people just partying until the wee hours of the morning and it sounds like that's the way it's been in in, in russia particularly in moscow uh, over the last 24 hours i mean as it should be you know this this means everything to everybody this tournament so um but look i mean obviously spain weren't helped at the start of the tournament by their uh, their coaching situation uh, Fernando Hierro coming in uh, and doing a, a good job, in my opinion. Um, but a coaching change of that magnitude at that stage, just, just uh, a day or two before the tournament, it is going to have, have an effect because you've worked on so much building up to the tournament as well. Uh, so people saying that it didn't make that much difference, I, I, don't, I don't agree at all. So um, that certainly played its part. And it's, look, I mean... Spain are just another one that bites the dust in what has been a tremendous World Cup. It seems possible that with Spain, you know, the discussion about the coaching change, uh, maybe that didn't affect them as much in the group stage uh, where you're getting three games to go through and, you know, you have a veteran team, obviously. They yep. know what they're doing. But when it comes to having to make those adjustments for that one game that's an elimination game, that might be where it's, where it's a little more painful, I think. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts on... Uh, a game like this being decided by penalties. You know, Croatia, Denmark also went to penalties. And, you know, as someone who is, you know, I've watched a lot of soccer now uh, since coming to MNUFC, a lot of MLS soccer where draws are acceptable. You know, you don't see a lot of uh, games, you know, you don't see games going to penalties. Um, it does change the fabric of the competition suddenly uh, in, in a very noticeable way, you know, from a sort of uh, open back and forth, uh, you know, the sort of desperation to get, to get a goal, to this sort of suddenly measured, incredibly tense thing that I feel sort of two ways about. On the one hand, it is very exciting. You know, I found the Croatia-Denmark, that was the game I got to watch live um, this weekend, and uh, the tension was great. You know, there were saves, there were stops, there were goals, it was great. Um, but it, it definitely changes the character of the sport suddenly. I mean, what's, what's your feeling on penalties to decide a game like this? I mean, I'm, I'm always one for drama. 
So uh, penalties, in my opinion, look, it's just, you know, the way it's been since the, the early 70s uh, in this particular tournament. So, um, look, some people would argue that it's unfair because one team has dominated and, you know, not been able to find the back of the net or whatever and, and not been able to advance. But look, it is what it is. I, I think penalty kicks are a great way to to really uh, to end a game. And um, if there's no takers within the 120 minutes, then go to PKs. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, you know, were, were Denmark unfortunate? Of course they were. You know, Kasper Schmeichel saved two penalties, three, yeah. if you look at within the course of the 120 minutes. And, you know, of course they deserve more from the game. But but this is just par for the course. This is just what happens in this, in this game. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, Croatia stepped up. They, they took the penalties when it mattered. They scored them when it mattered. And, yeah, I, I have no issue with it, Steve. Look, it's, of course, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking when your team goes out on penalty kicks. But, look, being, uh, being from England, I feel like I'm an expert in that. <laughs> um, sure. We've you have experience, Cal. <laughs> so, so many penalty shootouts we've gone out over the last, uh, last three or four World Cups uh, and European Championships as well. Um, but... It is what it is. I uh, I have absolutely no problem with it whatsoever. Yeah, seeing uh, you know seeing Russia's reaction, uh, I saw an angle that was you know from behind the bench, uh, sort of a low angle of, of of when of when they won that match and the sort of explosion of energy at that point. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, maybe it's not everyone's ideal way to end it. There, maybe there's some people who feel like you want to end it in the run of play somehow, but it does create attention in a moment and, and the stakes suddenly go up. An incredible degree, which is which is, it's fun to watch. And I was I was interested in the the Croatia Denmark game when um, Denmark gave away that penalty uh, on what looked like an open goal situation. You know, like the, the goal was yeah. open, and at first my reaction was, oh god, that's terrible. You know, <laughs> but then, you know, it, Schmeichel saved it, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. that's looking like an, an excellent defensive decision at that moment, uh, which was <laughs> which then was suddenly uh, you know changed my thoughts entirely about that defense. Yeah, I mean, look when when it comes out uh, that the goalkeeper makes the save. It's uh, obviously, it looks like a very smart thing to do. Uh, Kasper Schmeichel was, was incredibly unlucky. Um, I mean, the course of the game. if you've got Schmeichel, I guess maybe that's a penalty. Maybe it depends. Maybe you don't take that penalty if you don't have a goalkeeper. Right. Like Schmeichel, usually so. if you've got a Schmeichel in goal, you're usually okay. Yeah. Um, Kasper was incredibly unlucky. Um, and uh, it's interesting as well. I, I saw somebody saying this the other day and I completely agree. Um, is Kasper Schmeichel a top goalkeeper? In my opinion, yes. And after seeing that the other day, yes, again. Yeah. I do wonder, though, if his last name wasn't Schmeichel, would he, would he be at a bigger club? You know, I feel like it, it's almost like his last name has held him back slightly because people hmm. just don't want don't to take, not, not, not take the risk, but they don't want to go and sign him because they think they're going to get a Schmeichel. I think um, looking at the, the goalkeeping situation at Liverpool, I think that Kasper Schmeichel would be an absolutely perfect goalkeeper for them. But, um, you know, maybe it's, it's held him back slightly. But, I mean... Um, Look, either way, he, he was wonderful. He really, really was. And um, I think maybe not this year, or maybe this year, who knows, there's a move for him somewhere. No doubt about it. I think regardless, we can agree that saying Casper Schmeichel is fun. <laughs> the more times I get to say Schmeichel, the better it gets, I think. Yes, so. absolutely. Uh, another thing that, that came up in the, the early in the Brazil-Mexico game, which I watched the first half at home before coming uh, out to Brits, uh, the commentators were talking about how... Um, you know, they're American commentators, and they were talking about the sort of the texture of soccer versus, you know, other sports in America, and that um, one of the things about soccer is that because of the, the low scoring uh, overall, 
it always gives the underdog a chance. Um, and this is some of what you've seen in the round of 16. Uh, that's, I think American football can be like that. We've seen Super Bowls. It's, it's, a, it's one game, you know. Um, in other sports like baseball, uh, basketball, generally because of the series format, uh, the better team is going to win out most of the time. Right. The, the, I can't really decide which I prefer uh, in terms of the feel. Uh, in some ways, it's, it's, it's sort of nice to see... Uh, the best talent be rewarded, the, 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 the quality be rewarded. On the other hand, it's thrilling to see, you know, as it is in sort of the first rounds of the March Madness tournament, to see an underdog come up and, and, and take something away from, from a favorite. Do you have a preference for one versus the other? Um, I, th I think um, the, the, the thought process in England uh, is very much every dog has its day. And, and it is tremendous to see, especially when you, when you have a tournament like the FA Cup or something, and, and um, you know, a, a, a league minnow, um, someone from the fourth division or something, or sometimes even some, uh, like a team who's semi-professional, have themselves a, a great day and, and beat a team that's several leagues uh, higher than them, is, I think it's tremendous entertainment. I, I really do. And I'm all for, um, you know, people uh, um, have, having an underdog. I, I, I'm a big fan of the underdog. I really, really am. I, I am as well. It's sort of a blessing and a curse. Any team that looks like they're not doing well, I instantly, that's the one I emotionally want to go for, which usually sets me up emotionally for disappointment. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> because there's so much behind it as well. I, I think it's fantastic. And before we move on, I, I noticed you, you just, uh, you mentioned basketball there. Uh, there was obviously some news, wasn't there? Um, over the course of the last few days, I want to ask you, uh, yeah. LeBron to the Lakers then. What's, uh... Well, I had this crazy dream last night that, that LeBron signed with the Lakers, and then they immediately signed Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee, <laughs> uh, who are sort of known as two of the bigger knuckleheads in the league. And then I woke up and realized that it, that actually yes, happened. Yes. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can't even really decide how to feel about it as somebody, you know, with a history of covering the NBA for the last several years before I came to do soccer. It, it's, uh, it's sort of surreal to imagine LeBron uh, on the, the Lakers. Lakers yeah, you know, it's just it's sort of long been, long been the province of... Uh, you know, oh, we've got some, we've got some fans here. Rockets, Wolves, okay. We're taking fan suggestions. I, I would prefer either of those teams to the Lakers, frankly. So, um, unfortunately, LeBron didn't go to the Wolves. But um, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens because the, the, the Lakers roster looks atrocious uh, outside of, uh, you know, he's got a bunch of young guys, some of whom may pan out. Uh, LeBron is obvious. I sort of hope that LeBron goes there and gets paid because he's sort of been doing these one-year deals. Well, I think uh, he's getting paid, isn't he? Well, yeah, he took a four-year four deal for 160-some <laughs> million, so uh, 157 million, 54, yeah. 57 million. It's up there. So just some some minor change in the pockets. Yeah, the, well, like I kind of hope I kind of hope he does just even try. I hope this is like retirement, you know? Like he just. <laughs> I well, just just the, the question I got for you, Steve. I mean, um, me obviously knowing very little about the NBA. Um, I saw people reacting to it and, and saying, is he going to have the supporting cast around him? You know, because that was the debate in Cleveland, wasn't it? Right. So will that happen now with the Lakers? Well, it's, it's odd because right now the, the supporting cast in Los Angeles is worse than the supporting cast that he had in Cleveland when oh, he wow. left. So, um, but I've also seen things about him saying this is, you know, he, he took a four-year contract. So it, it makes sense to me if this is sort of, he wants to start building a legacy in with a franchise where he sees himself long-term, like if this is a play toward becoming involved in the business end of, of the Lakers. And so, or he, he's not expecting to be in the play. He's probably sick of getting in the playoffs <laughs> and getting bumped. He right. wants to take, so I saw somebody say he finally wants to see Paris in the spring. This is his chance to go take some time off. So, um, 
maybe what he's trying going to try to do is is build uh, the roster slowly and then exit into some kind of role either as a coach or as an executive with the Lakers. Maybe this is his play for that. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to follow, and it's certainly changing the texture of the league. The Eastern Conference is now it's the Boston Celtics, basically, I right. think, uh, you know, for the next several years. So um, as much as I love talking basketball, <laughs> uh, let's return to soccer. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Minnesota United uh, and the result this past weekend against FC Dallas, uh, a home result that they lost 1-0, unfortunately. Um, it, your impression, your quick impression of the game? Um, I mean, look, the positive take is obviously there were plenty of chances created. You, you would be extremely worried if they weren't creating opportunities. Um, Adrian Heath had his hand forced and put out a new system. Um, simply because of the players that were available to him. Right. I don't think he could have done much more with what he had available to him. Um, but look, I mean, a simple fact of the matter is, is it's not good enough. Right. In front of goal, it's not good enough. Um, you know, we, we have an abundance of, of players who, who have found the, the back of the net on a regular basis in, in previous endeavors and whatnot. So why can't they do it now? Um, the thing is right now, Steve, from, from where I stand and, and sit during the, the, the course of the game, um, it just seems like there's a real lack of confidence in the final third at the moment. Um, now, that can be fixed uh, over the course of time, but everyone goes through this sort of phase uh, throughout the season. Everyone, uh, in every league in the world, by the way, not just Major League Soccer, every team has a situation where they struggle to score goals. The worrying thing for Minnesota United now is that it is becoming a reoccurring theme. The Open Cup in Houston the game uh, away at Colorado and now the home game against FC Dallas. To me, Tuesday against Toronto FC, who also lost over the weekend, by the way, to New York Red Bulls, is absolutely humongous. Not only just for Minnesota, but also for Toronto as well, right. because they've got a big month ahead of them. Yeah. They, um, I saw someone did the calculations a while ago, and, and, and they need to pick up some points if they are going to get themselves into the postseason. This is a, the reigning MLS champions, by the way. You know, They've had an absolutely right. terrible awful 2018 campaign so i think both sides will fancy their chances on wednesday evening and i'm really looking forward to it yeah it's tough i don't like the thought of facing toronto fc when they need to get a win um because they ha they have a lot of talent on their squad yep they obviously started the season abnormally they were you know they were their focus was not on the mls initially um but they didn't seem to be able to turn it around and instantly you know get back on the horse and get into mls competition so i am concerned about facing them um in terms of FC Dallas, I, I don't know if you're uh, a fan of expected goals and, and analytics and things like this. Uh, I find them interesting, you know, uh, things to look into in terms of looking at not just how many shots you get, but how good those shots are, the sort of trying to judge the quality of those shots. I, I saw uh, information on the expected goals from that game, and it was something like 2.83 for Minnesota and 0.3 for Dallas yet they win 1-0. Mm. I sort of feel like something more like 2-1 or 3-1 would have been an expected... I mean, I can see why they say expected goals, because there were at least three or four shots that definitely should have gone in. Um, I mean, first of all, just a question generally, what do you think about soccer analytics like that and the question of, uh, you know, trying to find other ways to evaluate the play uh, that are maybe a little more in-depth? Um, <clears throat> sometimes they can be very helpful. But 
I, I know in America you guys love stats. Well, numbers. You, you I mean, guys love it. I hate numbers personally as a, as a humanities guy. Well, yes. <laughs> but when, when I started covering basketball, Cal, I was shocked to discover how much math I had to do just to write about basketball. Yeah. So. I, I mean, look, I was never great at maths anyway. I, I just I hate it. So uh, numbers have never been my, uh, my friends. Um, I, I just I understand why they're there. Um, for me, those stats, they, they can lie to a certain extent as well. Like I saw something in the, uh, the Spain-Russia game that suggested the Spanish had, um, they had completed something like a thousand passes uh, over the course of the 120 minutes, which is absolutely remarkable. But when someone actually dove deeper into it, it was something like a third of them were actually backwards. Sure. So it, you know, it suggests that they kept the ball well, obviously, but does it suggest that they were attacking fluidly? No, not really. So, um, you know, I mean, we, we, you can have a nil-nil game, can't you? Um, and then you, you look at the stats, and it'll, it'll either suggest that it was a great nil-nil because there were so many shots and shots on target and goalkeeper made so many great saves, or vice versa, and there, were, there was very little going on, you know? So n numbers can certainly play their part, but... Um, for example, Steve, I, I don't have a stats person alongside me during the commentary. Sure. Because I, um, I don't feel the need to. I don't, um, I don't like bogging the viewer down with needless numbers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I understand why people do. Uh, I know some people prefer to know how many corners uh, have, have happened during the course of the game. And in, in, in which case, we, we can support that through graphics anyway. But, um, you know, uh, to answer your question, you know, I... I I don't mind numbers, but I think there is a certain limitation to them for sure. Yeah, I'm interested in, in the evolution of it with regard to soccer because I think different sports land in different places and different sports embrace them at different times. Baseball has embraced analytics for, for a long time now. Um, basketball probably second in the U.S. Um, football, not as much. Um, I'm not sure about hockey. Uh, I, think that it's, I think that the question is, can you tease meaning out of them? Uh, and can you use them in a way that helps either bolster an argument or maybe, you know, contradict an argument that's always been accepted? Like this is, you know, this is what we've always thought about soccer. But if you if you begin to look at uh, things more advanced, like you're talking about the direction of passes and things like right. that, if you can start to generate, you know, not just straight numbers, but comprehensive graphics and, you know, incorporating things like heat maps and pass direction and you can begin to see things because soccer does, is really a game about space and it's about spaces and, and how you use that space and how you overload certain areas and how you create space. If some of that can come to the fore, I think that can be good. I think in basketball, it's been tremendously helpful. Uh, it has its detractors in basketball as well. But, uh, you know, you look at a guy like Jim Peterson, who's, who does the broadcast for the Timberwolves. Yep. He does Great an amazing guy. job of incorporating some advanced stats and some analytics in, in a way that makes the game, it makes it easier to understand. I think we just want to make sure we're not obfuscating, uh, you know, what's, what's going on on the pitch. Um, yep. One last thing about uh, the sort of aftermath of the Dallas game. Uh, Adrian had said, uh, you know, he was asked about uh, the, the finishing. And he's a former striker himself, obviously. And, and he said that he didn't, he didn't like to talk about it too much with the players because he felt like it can create a kind of complex. Like, if you focus too much on trying to finish, that you, you need to let guys go out and find their finishing uh, naturally. Yeah. Uh, is that something you would agree with, Cal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think um, that the more and more it gets talked about, which it will, I mean, I, I hope that our center forwards aren't, reading the newspapers or, or, or even listening to this podcast or, or looking elsewhere because... Don't listen to us, yeah. <laughs> please. Honestly, because it, um, 
it, it, it can become a psychological game then. Uh, and right. I've, I've seen throughout my years of doing this sport, Steve, I've seen so many centre forwards go on a barren run and then they start to overthink things and they perhaps take a touch more than they need to or they perhaps start to come inside when the, the, the easy option is to go near post or whatever and, and they do start to overthink it. Um, you know, I think um, one centre forward who I know a lot of these Mexico fans will be very familiar with uh, was uh, Javier Hernandez who, um, for me, is, is an absolutely fabulous centre-forwards. I know he went through a spell when he was at Real Madrid on loan from Manchester United and just couldn't find the back of the net because he was taking a touch too more. He was really, really overthinking things. And sometimes, simple is the best way to go about things. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, I, I completely agree with Adrian there. And um, I, I hope that, you know, over the next uh, couple of days, now leading up to the Toronto FC game, uh, they're working on finishing and they're just finding the back of the net as much as they can because the more they find the back of the net, the more the confidence will go up. Uh, all right, the last thing I want to talk about with you, we have the, the transfer window coming up, uh, opening up on July 10th. Um, obviously, some moves have already happened. Um, Wayne Rooney, uh, a, a guy you may have heard of. Um, he's, you know, from a, he's a lesser-known English player. Um, he's coming to DC United. Uh, your take quickly on, on the Wayne Rooney situation and then we'll move on to us. Um, I'm excited, obviously being an Englishman, having him here. Um, this was a move I think was, that was always going to happen at some stage in his career because he had mentioned it uh, many years ago that he wanted to play in MLS at some stage. Um, the, the good thing about it, Steve, is that I think um, maybe even as maybe even just five years ago, I, I don't think this move happens yet. I think Rooney actually goes and plays somewhere else and then comes to MLS. So it's a credit to the league um, and it just shows that the, the growth is, is obviously apparent. Um, with someone like him coming over at this stage of his career. Um, he's a physical player. He is uh, going to fit into this league very well because of the physicality of the league. Um, I can't imagine he's one of these aging players that would want to come over and, and, and view it as a vacation because we, we've seen players that do that and it doesn't work for them anymore. The, the one thing which I love is that he said he spoke to the likes of Steven Gerrard who played at LA Galaxy, Frank Lampard at New York City FC. And uh, they all said to him, go now, go right now when you're 32, because, I, and Steven Gerrard even came out on national television of England and said this, he said, I wish I'd have gone earlier. Yeah, they came over like 30, 34, 35. 35. Yeah, yeah okay. and you, you, you can't, in this league now, you just can't do it at a certain level when you're, when you're a certain player at 35, you, you can't do it anymore. You can't expect to come and dominate. So I'm really, really delighted that Rooney's come over now. Um, there will be an adjustment period for him, no doubt about it, because, and I say this with all due respect to DC United, it's not the Premier League. And, you know, that, that there are going to be certain frustrations there for him. Um, he's been used to playing with the best of the best at Manchester United for, you know, the last, um, you know, what was it, 13 of the last 14 years of his career. So um, there, there is going to be an adjustment period for him, no doubt about it. But I think overall... He will come into this league and, and do really, really well. Uh, the pressure's going to be on him, which he'll be fine. He's been used to that for, for the entirety of his career. Um, looking forward to seeing him play. It, it, it's almost like a perfect storm in DC now because he should make his debut um, for the opening of, of Audi Field when they play uh, Vancouver Whitecaps uh, this coming weekend. So um, should be really, really interesting. But uh, you're, you're right, Steve, that the transfer window more or less upon us now. There's going to be some interesting moves made. Yeah, I understand DC's, you know, desire to get that name that's going to get them attention, especially with, with opening Audi Field. And he's certainly still a player who can play. Um, I think my concern as far as DC is concerned, and I've seen a couple other people talk about this as well, is that, I mean, they're really leaping from having, they had no DPs 
to signing a DP of this magnitude that's going to bring a lot of attention. And I think it can be a little concerning that you get a lot of attention on your team, but your team is not actually a good team all the way through yet, um, as opposed to sort of trying to build slowly up to the point where you make that, that signature move. And then people who come to see that signature move also see, oh, there's also this quality behind it. it I mean, I'm a little concerned that DC United doesn't have the, like, you know, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be up and down, people are going to come to see DC United and see Wayne Rooney, but they're not going to stick around because the actual soccer they're going to see is not going to be up to that level. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. As I mentioned, there is going to be an adjustment period for him. So, um, but look, having a player like that uh, over here playing in Major League Soccer is only a good thing for the league. Uh, it's certainly, well, you'd imagine it would put bums on seats which is always a good thing. Bums um, is a uh, British term for butts. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I thought that was a universal thing. By the way, I, well, I don't know. You, <laughs> you also said maths earlier, which is the, the British refer to math Is that with not a universal S. thing as well? No, no, no. We just say math. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And well, I know you guys say math, but I thought everyone else said maths. Maths? I don't know. A Radiohead well, says because that. Because you're, you're, you're doing more than one mathematical equation. Possibly, I mean, we also you? say like pants. Maths, so. We say pants, but then it's one pant. Like, we have a, a pair of pants, but it's one object. <laughs> so you can't try to figure out English. It's impossible. So No, no. Um, all right, so let's talk about Minnesota United and the transfer window a little bit. What do you see being the positions of greatest need for us? <laughs> I mean, aside from all of them right now. We need more depth. We need more quality across the board. But what do you think should be the priorities? I knew you were going to ask me this. I know. I'm sorry. You know I mean, I we've talked about, let's well. talk about the Holy and Midfielder Appreciation Society because <laughs> we're still definitely in need of a number six. I mean, we, I think I, that there's is... There's no doubt. Yes. No doubt about that. Having said that, though, I think over the last couple of games, I've been very impressed with Colin Warner. Yes, he's, yes. He's done very well. He's um, covered his ground very well. He's positionally has been good. And look, this is a player who, um, who has been knocking on Adrian's door uh, for a few weeks now and, and, and wasn't saying I should be playing. He was saying, look, if you need me, I'm here. And, and to yeah. me, that's a real measure of the man. You know, yeah. he's, he's a constant professional and I think he's done really, really well. Um, but in terms of the players that, that um, we, we would like to come in, um, there's, there's no doubt that... Um, attacking players who can score goals is a need for everybody around the world. You know, if, if you can have a center forward or an attacking midfielder that can aid you in finding the back of the net, you're never going to say no to that. Well, and that's what Adrian says. Adrian constantly says, that's the hardest thing to do. That's yeah. why they're the best paid. That's why they're so expensive. So, yeah. You know, um, look, I think Minnesota United are obviously looking um, within that realm around the world. Uh, they want to bring in some quality. They want to bring in some some people that can aid them, not only in the short term, but long term as well. Um, you know, they've got one or two people around different parts of the world having a look right now. So um, I would expect some activity. I really would. Um, and, and look, I mean, the good thing is when we, when we approach the game against Toronto on the Wednesday, uh, to my knowledge, unless I've got the maths wrong, um, <laughs> which, which is, is uh, very, very likely, sure. um, it's the halfway point of the season. Um, so if that is the case, we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. And I know the standings aren't exactly pretty right now from a Minnesota United point of view, but let's, you know, let, let's, let's realize that we've still got a long way to go. And I know we need results right now. I know that we need someone to find the back of the net on a more regular basis. Hopefully that'll happen over the course of the next couple of months because I believe um, Adrian Heath wants this team to do as, as, as best as they can and, and he wants them to play a certain style. Um, you know, and now as, as well, in my opinion, Steve, having seen some of the other Western Conference teams also add as well, I mean, the Sounders signing Rui Diaz as a, as a designated right. player as well. I mean, all the teams around the Loons are getting stronger as well. Yeah. 
Minnesota United will, will see that and know that and know that they have to keep pace, if not better that pace, with everybody else in the Western Conference if they are to get to the postseason. Yeah, I think that need for a solid, you know, striker, to somebody put stuff in the back of the net is is clear. I mean, I think there's been reasonably good service, uh, even having lost, you know, Finley and Molino for the season, um, who were obviously very good in that way. You know, Darwin has been very good in terms of creating chances. He can also score, but he's also small. You know, he's not going to go up for headers. I mean, he's occasionally he gets up there, but um, <laughs> Miguel Ibarra, you know, who was out last week, has obviously been the one of the most confident players, and we'll be getting him back. Yep. Uh, so that's huge. Uh, but, you know, Getting a guy, I think that, you know, Christian Ramirez has been big in MLS. He was great last year. His hold-up play has been uh, improved a lot. Um, he's been injured. You know, I think that he's still not, maybe not back 100% from that. He's also, you know, he's not like a clinical finisher. He's a guy right. who goes in there and he makes the goals happen. Um, and if, if that's not happening for him, then it's, it's difficult. He's not, you know, he's, he's not going to find all those goals. Abu Dhanladi has been injured. Yep. Um, Mason Toy has shown flashes, but is obviously maybe not ready for that to step into that kind of role yet. So I think that need for somebody to just go out there and, and take shots that are going to, they're going to find, they're going to be on frame is, is paramount. Yeah. And I, I, feel, I feel slightly sorry for Christian Ramirez actually, Steve, because you know, he's got himself four goals so far this year, which isn't a bad return considering, and I say this with all due respect, the service that he's had to work with. Sure. Um, because, and the only reason I say that is because if you, if you look at what this team would have had if Molino and Finley were both fit with Quintero in between them, right. I think Ramirez would have got a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities. Now, Christian Ramirez, to me, is a player who, look, I mean, he, he, we know he can score goals. For me, though, he is one of these centre-forwards who perhaps needs a couple of more chances than, than someone who is at the very, very top level. Sure. Um, and that's okay. That's fine. Um, so I, I think Ramirez has been terribly unfortunate, actually, that, that the Loons have had a couple of injuries um, in, in key areas that really would have helped him. Yeah. Uh, quick question I just thought of. Do you, do you think that Adrian sticks with the... Uh, the three-five-two that he that he rolled out, or, or if he gets Miguel back, is he going to go back to the the four-two-three-one? I think he'll go back to the four-two-three-one simply because it's it's a system that he's comfortable with, and more importantly, it's a system that his players are comfortable with now, having having done it now for the you know the best part of eighteen months. So sure. you know, I thought they looked okay in, in the three-five-two, and they obviously um, had a couple of days to work on it. And they worked on it vigorously, let me tell you. Um, yeah. You know, they, Adrian was screaming and shouting at a few players when they were out of position and whatnot during <laughs> training. So, um, but look, yeah, I think um, he'll go back to the 4-2-3-1 because there is an element of comfort within this team when they play that formation. Yeah, and I wonder if there's not some confidence to be gained. And this is the, this is the, the formation you've been playing. Uh, you've had some struggles with it. We had to go away from it. You showed that you could play that other formation reasonably well. Then you come back to a, a, a formation of familiarity. Maybe it gives you a renewed sort of, it, it both feels familiar, but it gives you a new sense of energy and yep. I know what my role is. So. A new sense of, of optimism, absolutely. And, and look, I mean, as I said, I, I thought the players did well in the 3-5-2. Absolutely. And, and I thought, and, and look, credit to Adrian Heath for, for adapting to the situation as well. I mean, <laughs> didn't really have too much of a choice, but, right. um, <laughs> you know, well, well done to him for, for adapting. But um, look, I mean, it's... Uh, Toronto is going to be very, very interesting. They are the champions of Major League Soccer for a reason. They've invested very heavily in their playing roster. Um, you know, if you haven't got a ticket yet, I would say get out to it because, you know, you're going to see someone like Sebastian Jovinko, who for me has been the best player this league has, has seen um, in terms of technical ability, in terms of goal-scoring records. He's phenomenal. He, he really is. And um, he's going to be the main man that Minnesota United have to watch on Wednesday evening, no doubt. Yep. 
Well, thanks for joining us for the 17th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next match, as we said, is their salute to freedom on Wednesday, July 4th against Toronto FC. Kickoff for that match is at 6 p.m. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. That's the least I will accept. We would really appreciate that. And also, before we go, yes. how, how many Mexico fans have we got in the house here today, by the way? Any of you guys? Guys, I know you're devastated. Mexico have gone out. Give us a song before we go. <laughs> Come on, give us a song. <laughs> Everybody. Maybe not, maybe not then. <laughs> I appreciate your efforts at crowd participation. That's good. So. Hey, that's okay. Don't worry yeah. about it. They're out of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> frustrated now. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Um, all right. So you can you can follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal over here at CalWilliams.com. You follow me at Steve Venturis. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs> <laughs>